get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. Great to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy Carriker. How are you? Everything's great. Weekend was good. Nice and warm outside. Did you end up going golfing? I did. I played played about 24 holes. What? What's uh, 18, 20... No, 27 on Saturday, and then played nine yesterday. Yeah. Ooh, it was and yesterday, high. Even, even though yesterday, I don't I don't know if you agree with me on this, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, even though yesterday was like 10 degrees cooler, it seemed hotter yesterday than, than Saturday to me. I think both days seemed equally as hot. Yeah, I don't it, mind. It's gotten to that point in St. Louis where it's so hot that anywhere you go or anyone that you speak with, the first thing in the conversation is, wow, it's hot outside. Yeah. And after yesterday, the Cardinals are hot. Yes, they are. Day off. Pick up a win. We'll take a 10-6 win over the Reds. We had some scary moments, no doubt about it. But, hey, a, a win is a win is a win. And the Cardinals, they, they take one out of three in Cincinnati. Yeah, with the facing, you know, being swept, Randy, they bounce back. They <laughs> avoid the sweep. But it's good to see them get the win and good to see the offense put up some runs again. The Cardinals scored two in the first. The Reds scored three in the bottom of the first. Then the Cardinals exploded in the fourth inning. After tying the game, Harrison Bader stepped to the plate. And Bader launches one into deep left. At the wall, gone! Three-run homer, Harrison Bader. His second bomb in this series. And it puts the Redbirds on top. And he joined Arenado, O'Neill, and Carlson with home runs for the Cardinals yesterday. How about Harrison Bader? Unreal. He has been red hot for the Cardinals in the second half. Really, since he returned from the IL, he's been unbelievable. Hitting about 350 since he came back, leading the club in RBIs this month. And now his batting average up to 289. The Cardinals actually at some point may have a hitter that's hitting 300 during this season. All right. And who who had on their bingo board that it was it would be Harrison Bader? Yeah, he was not the guy that I was picking, Michelle. <laughs> I don't think so. But the the offense, ever since the Tommy Edmund comments, the offense really has, for the most part, come around. Not all the time, but it's a lot better than it was for the month leading up to those comments. Absolutely. You see a lot of guys taking quality at bats. You're certainly seeing the results most of the time. And I wonder what the difference is. I wonder if this, and maybe this week we can talk to Adam Wainwright. He can take us inside the clubhouse a little bit and share with us what the difference is. Because you hear guys saying that they're taking better at bats and that the approach is different. But is it what Tommy Edmonds suggested where the players just took over control themselves and they're doing their preparation differently is it that the messaging from the high level curriculum of jeff albert has finally settled in with the team i wonder what the difference is because there certainly has been something that has clicked one of the things and it was the same day it was actually before that game that edmund made the comments after the game mike schilt said we've gotten too hung up to paraphrase too hung up on slugging and we don't care enough about ops or or on base 
too too hung up on slugging. We don't care about on base. They do seem to be taking better at bats since then, and, and making an effort to try to get on base and not either hit a home run or strike up. Especially the outfield. That's something that we had talked about so much heading into this season about all the question marks surrounding the guys in the outfield. I don't know about you, Randy, but I feel comfortable saying that this is the Cardinals' outfield of the future. I a hundred percent agree. They've had the opportunity to evaluate those three. They've also had the opportunity to evaluate Justin Williams and, to an extent, Austin Dean and maybe uh, Lars Nutbar. But, yeah, they've got their outfield set. Now, and we thought, okay, get the outfield set and you're going to be good. And you still have, and even though he's been hot lately, and you know that Paul DeYoung has the ability, his batting average up to 203, but he's only got a 296 on base. So you wonder now if you sprung another leak because of he and Tommy Edmond. It's almost like a whack-a-mole situation. Right. As soon as you think you've got one thing, something else pops up. But that's sports in general, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's really rare that you get everything clicking at once, especially in baseball for a long period of time. It's such a long season. But... In regards to the outfield, it is nice to have those question marks be exclamation points, not only because it felt like that carousel went on for years where we were wondering about the outfield, but because the Cardinals had dealt so many guys who were potentially going to be pieces from the outfield. They moved on from good players in favor of these three. So to see them thriving and to see them look like they made the right decision there, tip of the cap to the Cardinals because it seems like they got this one right. And because of the injury history of both O'Neill and Bader, they still need a fourth outfielder. Yes, absolutely. Preferably they can play center field, but at least you have a, a real good indication now of who your main three are going to be. So the Cardinals are 50 and 50 after 100 games. They're eight games behind the Brewers, and Harrison Bader, is the tension building in the clubhouse a little bit? I mean, I don't know. It's the big leagues. There's tension at all <laughs> in every corner. You know, it's just a matter of how you respond to it. Um, you know, obviously Schilte... Schilte got, I mean, he got me pumped up. I'm not going to talk, you know, for anybody else, but he got me pumped up, you know, fighting for us. He's always fighting for us. So, you know, I respect the hell out of that. And, uh, you know, we've been saying every game's a must win, but, you know, go down two in a series, you know, got an off day tomorrow, uh, doing everything we can to just, um, you know, find a way to win. So I think the, uh, the way we played today just, just proves that we can, we can do it. Harrison Bader talking in regards to Mike Schilt being ejected yesterday. He's been ejected nine times in his career, Randy, for this season, two in the past five days. And I know Harrison Bader was talking about Mike Schilt's ejection and if that fired up the team, and it seems like it did. And it's just so stupid. And Schilt said afterwards that he was given 27 seconds to, and he's supposed to be allowed 30, to call for a replay. Literally the night before in the Brewers-White Sox game, the Brewers were allowed to actually have a mound visit before they asked for and, and received a replay. There's no consistency at all among the umpires, among the rules. And I, I don't blame Mike Schilt for being upset. At the very least, give him the 30 seconds. But Tony was upset on Saturday night because the Brewers, and they did ultimately get the call right, by the way, but the Brewers were given about two and a half minutes before they decided that they wanted to see a replay. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. I do not blame Mike Schilt at all for getting upset. I actually love to see that side of Mike Schilt. I love that fiery side. And clearly his players love when he gets fired up and defends them too. But you're right, no consistency. It was absolutely ridiculous. The umpiring in general, uh, a little bit suspect at times during this series. So I don't blame Mike Schilt at all for getting upset. The, the Cardinals with a 3% chance now to be a wild card team. 
The Braves at 7%, Reds at 12%, Phillies at 17%. So I'm saying that the teams that are in place right now, Giants, Brewers, Mets, Dodgers, Padres, they're all in pretty good shape. The Mets of those teams is the lowest percentage to make the playoffs at 79%. So you think the Cardinals have a chance? 3%. 3%. All right. And here we are at 50 and 50. Here we are looking at the Cardinals, I should say, at 50 and 50. And don't you think that's about right? Yeah. Yeah. We thought that they would be better than this. They've dealt with a lot of injuries. A terrible June. They should be better than this. But in general, based on what we saw at points in this season, I think they're lucky to be in this position. And now it's up to them, right? No excuses. You're going to get Miles Michaelis back. You're going to get Jack Flaherty back. The offense seems to have found something. If you really think that you can be better, as Adam Wainwright has said, and as Nolan Arenado has said, well, here's your chance. The old adage in baseball is that you're going to win 60 and you're going to lose 60, and it's what you do with the other 40 that matter. Well, the Cardinals have 60 games to determine what they're going to do with those other 40. So if you win 40, go 40 and 20, then you'll make the playoffs. Well, that's all you have to do. Go 20 games over 500. And 42 and 21. And again, I hate saying this because we have said this before, but looking at this stretch of games coming up, it seems like they could go on a bit of a run here. Again, I've said this before. We've said this before. Didn't happen. But Cleveland, Minnesota, Atlanta, you've got Pittsburgh sprinkled in there twice. Well, Kansas City, Milwaukee. I mean, there's going to be some tough uh, series coming up through the month of August. But that that little stretch right there, Cleveland, Minnesota, Atlanta, you can certainly do some damage. Need to get Flaherty back, Flaherty and Michaelis, as one of your starters. Because, sadly, unfortunately, uh, you just cannot get wins out of yesterday's starter. Johan Oviedo? Yeah, he's kind of scuffling. And, and he can't go through, he can't get you through five innings. And even when he's in the position to get the win, something else happens. Yeah. So it's it's always something. Uh, the Blues, we learned Friday afternoon, made a trade. They sent Sammy Blay and a second-round pick to the Rangers in exchange for right-winger Pavel Buchnevich. He's a guy that essentially had the exact same numbers last season as Gabriel Landeskog of the Colorado Avalanche, and he is the nominal replacement for Vladimir Tarasenko. Your top six, Michelle, are pretty well set now. You'll have... O'Reilly centering Shen and David Perron, and then you'll have Robert Thomas, who they, they're going to play at center with Buchnevich and Cairo. That'll be your top six. This seems like another great move by Doug Armstrong. He seems like he's going to be a perfect fit for the Blues. He's got the size. He obviously is going to fill what we think is going to be a void there. He's at a great age, 26 years old. And then in reading JR's piece last night about him, it seems like he's a great dressing room guy mm-hmm. that a lot of people really like him. He brings a good energy to the room. And that certainly seems to be something that, the Blues could use at times. We talked about identity. We talked about chemistry a lot last year. So it seems like this is a great pickup in a lot of different respects. Probably looking initially at a third line with Sunquist, Kostin, and Barbashev. And then the Blues have some depth work to do. And they still have to get rid of Vladimir Tarasenko. And when Army talked on Friday, he said, uh, well, right now he, we have to plan on him being here. But I think they'll find a way to get rid of Vladdy now. Oh, absolutely. And when I heard Army say that, I I always try to put myself in the position of the person speaking. And who is Doug Armstrong? He's a guy who is always playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. And when he said that, I thought he was trying to get people off kilter. And 
not necessarily let people get a sneak peek into what he's thinking, but I still don't think there's any way that Vladdy can come back. But when Army comes out and says that, if you're the Vladimir Tarasenko camp, that's the camp that he's talking to. Aren't you thinking we we can't go back there? We can't. We have to give anything the green light because he cannot go back. Yeah, and for any teams that might be interested in him, and once again, Jr. reported that. Armstrong told the Tarasenko camp there was no interest in him. And then we kind of saw that with the Seattle expansion draft. But if you do have interest in him, you have to know that the Blues are not going to pay his entire salary. The Blues will probably swallow some of the salary, but certainly not all of it. And I just wonder if there's a team out there that's willing to pay a certain percentage of it. That's going to be really tricky. And the real issue the Blues have is that free agency starts Wednesday and teams that are going to spend money, that are predisposed to spending money, money, they'll spend it on Wednesday. The free agency doesn't last long in the NHL. The guys go off the shelf in the very first day. Yeah, they go shopping early, right? Yeah. So it'll be really interesting. Wednesday will be an interesting day for the Blues. All right, we're off and running. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got a little game of start one, bench one, cut one here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Seven eight zero is our Air Comfort Service text line for Carriker and Smallman. Emily is here, and we want to hear from you for Start One, Bench One, Cut One. Michelle, at this time of year, Start One, Bench One, Cut One. Olympic men's basketball, Olympic swimming, or Olympic gymnastics. Okay. I always write these, jam- these down. Okay, so I'm starting gymnastics, Randy especially this year, but always. I love watching the women's gymnastics. But this year, especially, if there's one thing that I have to tune in for, it's Simone Biles. I want to see her. I'm going to bench men's basketball because normally they are pretty dominant when it comes to (laughs) Olympic men's basketball. And even though there are great swimmers still in the mix, Katie Ledecky, et cetera, the swimming doesn't hold the same juice for me without Michael Phelps. But I I honestly like to tune in and watch all three. But before, Michael Phelps Mm. was must-watch television. I am still starting men's basketball. I am benching swimming, and I am cutting gymnastics. You're cutting gymnastics? I am, yeah. You're cutting the one goat in the mix here? Yeah, I I just like sports where there's a scoreboard. There is a scoreboard in gymnastics. Yeah, but how do you score points? They they score points based on their performance, their routine. They actually get points. You went to the trials. You saw they put up scores. I, I, I think there's a level of randomness to it. And maybe it's just because I don't get it, but that might be it. I, I know that when somebody scores a basket, that that's a basket. I know that if somebody finishes first, they finish first and they win. I, I just like it that way better. That everyone's on it an equal playing field. Yeah. yeah. Because in gymnastics, it's based on the difficulty, the difficulty of your routine right. yeah. or of the skill yeah. that you're and taking doing. Nothing away because I love all three of them. I'm not going to cut gymnastics really in real life, IRL, but <laughs> If I had to, that would be the one that would go. Okay, start one, bench one, cut one. Cardinals outfield edition. All okay. three guys surging a little bit. Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson. Okay. 
I am going to go with, uh, well, let me start with this. You can't pry Dylan Carlson from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> okay, so he's going to start. Okay. I am actually going to bench Harrison Bader, and I'm going to cut Tyler O'Neill. Even though O'Neill has the power, Bader, with the speed and the ability in center field defensively, I'm going to bench Bader and cut O'Neill. Okay. I'm I'm basing mine on right now, mm-hmm. present day, July 26th. I think you have to start Harrison Bader. Each one hit a home run yesterday. That's true. But I think if you're looking in totality, I think right now there's no one that I, this sounds crazy to say, when Harrison Bader steps up to the plate, you expect something good to happen Agreed. right now. Yep. So I'm starting Harrison Bader. I think I'm going to bench Dylan Carlson. And I hate to do it, but cut Tyler O'Neill right now. Yeah. And that's something that we would not want to do, but I agree with you. It's the way that, Tyler has gone this season has been a revelation. We all wanted to see this happen, but the other guys are just doing things that are better. Harrison Bader, by the way, this month, would you like to know what he's hitting, Michelle? I would love to, yes. Okay, this is uh, July of 2021. We're on July 26th right now, and Bader has an OPS of 1.030. He has a batting average of 450. Hold on. Let me change this. Betting edge average of 373, 923 OPS, uh, three home runs, seven RBIs in 67 plate appearances. So three, uh, 317 batting average. Whew. So he's and the 923 OPS. Pretty I'm certain darn, him. Pretty darn good. Not, nothing wrong with that. All right, Emily, what do we have from the text line? From the 314, start one, bench one, cut one. CB Buckner, Joe West, Angel Hernandez. Okay, this is easy. Uh, it's easy to cut Angel Hernandez. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am going to bench CB Buckner, and I'm going to start Joe West. Are you? Yeah. You feel good about that, though? No, not great. I don't think so. But I certainly feel good about cutting Angel Hernandez. <laughs> yeah. And CB Buckner, man, it's we're lucky he doesn't have a third choice. Uh, so in balls and strikes. So yeah, Joe West is my. At least Joe West can sing a little bit. He's a singing cowboy. He's got that going for him. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'll start. Mm, I'm definitely cutting Angel Hernandez. And it's kind of a, a coin flip either way for me as far as West and Buckner go. But I think I'll start Joe West. Been doing it a long time. Yeah, he has. More than anybody else. That's right. Longer than than anybody. And you can start him now and he'll retire at the end of the year. So you're happy about that. <laughs> it's a short start. <laughs> From the 314. Johan Oviedo type start. Oh, Randy. He was in position to get the win two starts ago. Yeah, he was. Bullpen imploded. Too sad. He could have had it. It was right there. Right there. That one time. (laughs) From the 314 start, one bench, one cut, one. The Cubs, the Cowboys, the Rams. Well, we know who we're cutting. The Rams are cut. Yeah, I'm starting the Cubs. I'm starting the Cubs, too. I'm benching the Cowboys. I'm cutting the Rams. And here's why. I've never been to a Cowboys game, but that stadium, while magnificent, I've been told is a little impersonal because it's so grand. Mm -hmm. And when you go to Wrigley Field, even though they have the monstrosity that is now the scoreboard and they have the whole deal with Starbucks and whatever there, it's been modernized a bit. It still has an intimate feel. And I've never had a bad time at Wrigley Field, so I'm going to start the Cubs. Not only am I going to start the Cubs, Michelle, I'm benching the Cowboys with the idea that I'm cutting them the next day. 
and then I'm cutting the Rams today. I'm also choosing the Cubs because one of those three has won in the past handful of years. <laughs> this, is, this is true. And it is the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. The Stones, the Who, the Beatles. Ooh. Oh, this is easy. I'm starting the Beatles. I'm benching the Stones. I'm cutting the Who. Sorry, Who. But the Beatles, perhaps the most transcendent band of all time. The Rolling Stones incredible we went through the catalog on friday mm-hmm. <laughs> and although the who is great i just don't think in in totality that the full catalog matches the first two now i'm surprised a that you have such a, a great knowledge of these three bands so i'm proud oh, of you love classic rock okay good it is very classic i'm doing the exact same thing i am starting the beatles as well i am benching the stones and i'm cutting the who Okay, I've got two that are kind of similar, but I want to hear from both of you guys on those. Okay, got it. From the 314, start one, bench one, cut one. Funnel cakes, T-Ravs, Randy's carrot cake. Really quickly, I did, in fact, Randy, I just had to Google it to make sure I had the name correctly. When I was in England, in college, went to the Cavern Club, which is where the Beatles got started in Liverpool. Went on the full Beatles tour in Liverpool. How cool is that? It was amazing. Love the Beatles. Love the Beatles. I have Beatles songs in my uh, phone here. What's your favorite Beatles song? Um, probably Paperback Writer. Paperback Writer. Uh, Hey Jude is okay. That's kind of the classic. It's okay? Yeah. Um, Incredible. The Long and Winding Road. Love it. Well, good. Strawberry Fields Forever. Classic. I am going to, uh, I'm going to start my carrot cake. I am going to bench T-Revs and I am going to cut funnel cake. Okay, so it's Randy's carrot cake, funnel cake, and tea wraps. Yes, should have thrown gooey butter cake in the mix or we something later. equally as sweet. Just there's another one coming. Okay, well I'm cutting tea wraps just because the other two are sweet. I'm going to start Randy's carrot cake and I'm benching funnel cake. But if it was gooey butter cake, we'd have a different conversation. Okay. Yeah, that's the exact same play. I'm. Don't you always cut funnel cake? No, I cut tea wraps. I bench funnel cake. Funnel cake is awesome. I can't keep funnel cake around. Sorry. Why? Uh, Too messy for you? Yeah. With your fingers, powdered sugar everywhere? Yeah. Is there anything worse for you than fried bread? Oh, I'm sure. Anything you eat at a fast food restaurant. I don't know. Deep fried. Deep, Deep fried cake. Well, you do realize that toasted raviolis are, in fact, fried as well. But then they've got some healthy protein in them. Heart healthy. Yeah. Ground beef. <laughs> or spinach artichoke toasted rev. But you do realize that it's in a bread casing and also fried. So it does have fried bread on it. This is true. Just not as much. It's smaller. <laughs> but it's not cake, Michelle. <laughs> true. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate that. Okay. So there's another one from the 618 that is start one, bench one, cut one. Apple pie, gooey butter cake, Randy's carrot cake. I still have to start Randy's carrot cake. I think I'm going to bench gooey butter cake and I'm cutting apple pie, which at times can be overrated. It can. Because it doesn't say apple pie with a caramel drizzle and a scoop of ice cream. We're just talking the foundation of apple pie. I make a pretty bean apple pie, but I don't make it at this time of year. I will make a carrot cake at this time of year. I will eat a schnook's gooey butter cake at this time of year, which gets my benching. And I'm with you. Reluctantly, I'm going to cut apple pie. 
I love that you think apple pie is seasonal. Is that only fall for you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not a uh, warm weather apple pie person at all. Interesting. But once we get to September, September, October, November, December, I'll do apple pie, yeah. Okay. And maybe that's because of the apple season at Eckert's. Oh, good call. Eckert's is the best. Yeah. From the 314, start one bench, one cut one. Arenado's defense, Bader's defense, Yachty's defense. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I'm going to... Yeah, his defense now are in his prime. I was just going to say, is this currently or is this? They just... did not specify. Okay. okay, well, then I'm going to start Yachty's. De- I'm going to just say it's the entire body of work. Okay. I'm going to start Yachty's. I'm going to bench Arenado's and I'm going to cut Bader's defense. I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, we have seen, as great as Arenado has been, we have a recency bias, but Scott Rowland was right there with Arenado. Uh, we have seen better defense in center field than Harrison Bader because we had Jim Edmonds on our team and we have never seen all due respect to Mike Matheny we've never seen better defense than what Yachty has provided behind the plate unbelievable from the 314 start one bench one cut one cards trade trade deadline edition okay a relief pitcher a starting pitcher or a bat okay I am going to start a starting pitcher I'm going to bench a relief pitcher, and I'm cutting a bat. Yeah, the bat I liked got traded yesterday. Oh, I saw that. Adam Frazier. Yeah. yeah he would have been, that would have been nice. And Rich Hill, too. Now that we have apples to apples and we, can, we can't, there are people we complain about the Cardinals not getting, we can complain about not getting Rich Hill or Adam Frazier. Uh, that being said, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start the starting pitcher that I would prefer to have. I'm going to bench the relief pitcher because the Cardinal bullpen still has some guys that you don't want to see in the game. (laughs) And then uh, I am with you, Michelle. I am going to cut the bat, which is something that at the end of June, we never would have dreamed we would (laughs) say. But baseball is a long season and there are ebbs and flows. And now the bats look like they're the the least problem on the team. They really are. that 3% might be a little bit high. Cardinals' chances of making the playoffs because, and I, I've said this before, I just don't have faith in the guys behind Wainwright and KK. Mm-hmm. Wade LeBlanc was not Wade LeBlanc the other night. And then we see what happens with Oviedo on a regular basis, and it's it's sad. The guy should spend should have spent this year in AAA. That's a bummer. And then Jake Woodford, you, you, you want to see him succeed, but again, He's an inexperienced pitcher. That's why it'd be nice to have a healthy Flaherty back. That would be great. Hopefully it's imminent, right? Right. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, the Blues had a busy weekend with the draft and the acquisition of Pavel Buchnevich from the Rangers. What will he bring to the Blues? That's next on 101 ESPN. Around the boards, bounces out of the zone. Noah Dobson there. Good pressure takeaway by Zibanejad to Buchnevich. He scores! Miller off the glass, out to Panarin. Panarin gets it to Zibanejad, and now to Buchnevich. He scores! Johnson plays it back, and it's picked up by Buchnevich. He moves it and shoots. He scores! Pavel Buchnevich with his second of the game. Oh, good play by Buchnevich. Franchise history scored by Pop.
got word late Friday afternoon that the Blues had made the deal for Pavel Buchnevich from the Rangers. They sent Sammy Blay and a second-round pick for the 26-year-old. He's 6'3", 197. Last season, Michelle Buchnevich, 20 goals, 28 assists for 48 points. He was a plus 12. He's a restricted free agent, and the Rangers have several high-priced restricted free agents. So he became available, and Doug Armstrong, as he is wont to do at times, pounced on the deal. Seems like a good deal for the Blues, too, especially with the Vladimir Tarasenko situation being up in the air still. It seems like Buchnevich is going to be assuming what was Vladdy's spot for a while and a spot that the Blues certainly needed to solidify a little bit. The Blues Poho and general manager Doug Armstrong on the trade. We made a trade today, obviously, uh, with Rangers. Excited to have Pavel join our group. I uh, want to thank Sammy Blay for his uh, contributions to our organization over the last number of years. Wish him nothing but the best of luck and success with the Rangers. And so what does Army like about Butchnevich? Well, he's got good size at 6'3". He uh, uh, can play. He's a left shot, can play the right side. Uh, you know, he's scored in the league recently. Uh, he's 26 years old, uh, a player that uh, obviously we control for a year and would like to sign long term. Uh, the right age group for our for us, what we're trying to accomplish. And I think he'll help a very good penalty killer too, very underrated penalty killer. So he's going to touch all aspects of our game and he's at a, at a good age. And, uh, you know, f- as we continue to retool this roster, I think he's a good piece for us. A couple of interesting points there. Number one, a left shot that plays the right side, which is exactly what Vladimir Tarasenko is. And then at the end, when he said, we're trying to retool this roster. Yes. Well, we we kind of figured that this was something that was going to happen. And I in no way think Doug Armstrong is done, not only because of Vladdy, but we just knew that it was going to take several moves to really position the Blues to be where they wanted to be. But to go out and get someone like Buchnevich, who does have the size, who can score, who can be effective on the penalty kill, who is going to assume a role that the Blues need some help with, left wing. And uh, Randy, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but I want to repeat it. And JR's piece about this deal when he spoke to people within the Rangers organization they call him Captain Happy Mm -hmm. because of the personality that he brings to the locker room and one thing that that the Blues kind of lacked in at times last year was a real personality a team personality a team identity and I don't know if that was because of the chemistry the team never really clicked for the for long stretches like we expected them to, if it was the fact that the schedule was still a little weird and when they would travel places, they couldn't really bond in the way that they wanted to when there's restrictions, especially out on the West Coast. But either way, I think that he's he's going to be a welcome addition to this team in so many ways. And you think now about where the Blues are in terms of top six forwards with O'Reilly, Perron, and Braden Shen, and then Robert Thomas, who they want to play at center, they're, they're going to move Shen off of center, and he's going to play wing. So you're going to have Thomas Buchnevich and Jordan Cairo. So, Doug Armstrong, where does this leave your negotiations with Jaden Schwartz and Mike Hoffman? Uh, well, we'd certainly like to stay in contact with those guys, but as uh, in a flat cap, every dollar is, is, is allocated. Uh, and we have a, an understanding of... of what an arbitration case might look like uh, for Pavel. And hopefully we get a longer term deal done. And that's obviously going to increase that number, not decrease that number. So it, it does affect it for sure. There's, there's no, there's no getting around it that in, in a, in a, a cap system and a flat cap system, 
there's there's only so much money uh, to be allocated, and once it's spent, it's spent. And the fact of the matter is, the Blues do have Barbashev, and they have Sunquist, and they want to take a look at Klim Costin, unless Hoffman or Bozak or Schwartz are willing to come back on a real budget deal. When I look at where the Blues are with restricted free agents, I have to believe that those guys are gone, all three of them. Agreed. Uh, especially Schwartz. I would imagine that he's going to go out there and test the waters and likely get a more lucrative offer elsewhere. And Hoffman, even though at times there were flashes of what we expected him to be, I just think his tenure here in St. Louis was generally not what the Blues expected or what he expected. I mean, there was a, a lot of talk about the fact that he likely won't be back this year. And I just think that if there's other moves to be made out there that if these were ones that Doug Armstrong wanted to solidify, he likely would have done it already. And Michelle, when I look at the moves that are made, and when you look at a guy like Jaden Schwartz, who's a really defensively conscious player, and by the way, as Army noted, Pavel Buchnevich has played on the PK as well. But when you look at a Maroon no longer being around, and you look at through no fault of the blue zone, the fact that Bo Meester isn't here and Petrangelo isn't here and pretty much every move that's made is made for either a... We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Faster or more skilled or smaller player, they seem to be getting away from what their identity was when they won the Stanley Cup and getting closer to that fast team that Doug Armstrong has talked about for a long time. I wonder if... The identity that Craig Berube fosters, the the heavy, tough team that we saw in 2019, if you can do that with the roster the Blues have right now, or or that they appear to be heading towards. Well, I wonder if Craig Berube can adjust what he preaches or what has allowed the Blues to win prior based on the talent and the personnel that he's given. And I think that you can certainly instill toughness in a team without playing that heavy style of hockey. And I would imagine that he's not going to try to force a square peg into a round hole. If he's looking at the personnel that he has and he doesn't think that they're capable of playing the way that the Blues played in the past, he's going to, I would imagine most coaches would, try to extract the best out of them based on their skill set. One of the things that made Joel Quenville good, and this goes to exactly what you just talked about, the the thing that one of the things that made Q really good is that for the particular skill of line, he would let them play that way. Now, you can still come in waves, but the style of play of Kairou Thomas Buchnevich is going to be different than the style of play of O'Reilly Shen Perron. That's just logical when you watch the players play, right? Sure. And I think that's one of the things that the Blues have to do is that they have to understand that different players are going to play different ways. And the Blues under Q, they, they had the cycling Slovaks and they played differently than the way the fourth line played. And it wasn't all a straight line game. I don't know if you're going to get a straight line game all the time with Thomas and Kairou and Butch Navish. And I think it, that sort of change has to be accepted. That sort of difference has to be accepted by the coaching staff. I don't think it would benefit this team to try to play one straight line or one no. big big blanket style of play when you do have varying personalities and varying skill sets. So we'll get things rolling with the Blues in mid-September. They'll play and the schedule is out. They've got a couple of games on the road before they come home. And they have a lot of work to do before then because they have 
free agency coming up on Wednesday and presumably a trade of Vladimir Tarasenko. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Tioli on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It is 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. great to have you with us on 101 ESPN, especially on a day, Michelle, after the Cardinals beat the Reds 10-6. You know, the Reds had come in here and won four in a row, and then they won two there. So the Cardinals snap a six-game losing streak against Cincinnati. I was worried about uh, Joey Votto going off again and talking about the Cardinals, talking smack to the Cardinals. Always helpful, though, when Nicholas Castellanos isn't in yeah, the mix. Makes a difference. For the, the entirety of the series. But you would think then the Cardinals would be able to take more than one game, avoid the mm-hmm. sweep. I thought that they would have a better showing um, in the series as a whole. I was kind of bummed that they didn't win the series, knowing that Castellanos wasn't there. But great that they were able to not only avoid the sweep with a win yesterday, but put up some runs again. By the way, I was thinking about this with Votto. And the joy he gets in beating the Cardinals. Yeah. Do you think that'll be the highlight of his career? Is the games where he beat the Cardinals? If so, that's incredibly sad because he's a really good player. He has been. But they've been to the playoffs and haven't won in the playoffs. They, they haven't won a playoff series in his career. They finished ahead they, in the head-to-head meetings with the Cardinals over the course of his career. The Reds have had the advantage one time in 13 years. So this might, I think this would be the second time in 13 years where the Reds have beaten the Cardinals in a season series. Sometimes we need to have conversations like this to put things in perspective. Here's a great player and someone like Joey Votto, who at the end of his career will ha- have had an excellent career. Mm-hmm. But from a success standpoint, a team success standpoint, a hardware standpoint, really nothing to show for it. No. And when you are when you come to a place like the Cardinals, like I imagine this is why Nolan Arnato really wanted to come here because you can be a great player in so many organizations that can be in the mix at times, can have seasons that are good seasons, but there's very few franchises that have had the postseason success or are always in a position to potentially have postseason success like the Cardinals. Yeah. Like, that bums me out to think that that could be the highlight of Joey Votto's career. But I do think that we take it for granted. And Paul Goldschmidt told me, he said, one of the reasons I wanted to come here is because the Cardinals bring up good young players all the time. Yeah. And they appear to have done it again with Carlson and with Bader and with O'Neal, who all played well over the course of the weekend. Here is Tyler O'Neal, who hit another home run yesterday. For sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is the first time that... uh you know, Harry, uh, Dylan, and myself have really had a stretch of games together, and um, you know we're just figuring out how to put it all together. And um, you know, it's a long year, so you got to stick with it, and uh, the results will the results will come. So uh, you know, we trust our training and uh, just going out there and doing our thing. Going out, going out and doing our thing, eh? With Harry. Yeah, and Bader, for his part, man, has he been hot? And he always enjoys the success of the guys on his left and his right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, no doubt. Never, uh, you know, a competition within, uh, you know, among team team members. But you know, the outfit we did a little, uh, we did a little dap at the end of the game. Like you know, all three of us hit a little bomb. So, so that's nice. Obviously, um, just keep the energy going, man. Stay positive, and uh, today was a big win. All right, Michelle, yes. do we have to give Mo 
who said before last season, we want to evaluate our outfielders. And obviously, Randy Rosarena is gone. Adolis Garcia is gone. But now when you see the way that these guys have performed since they've been healthy since the break, do you have to give the Cardinals some credit for keeping specifically these three guys? As of right now, I'm going to give half credit because I would like to see a bigger sample size of it. Yes, when they have been healthy and they've gotten a run together, it does seem like they're clicking. And at least we're seeing the potential of what they could be long term, right? Which is something we didn't necessarily see before. We would see it in flashes here or there. But to see all three guys have some success at the same time, at least we're seeing what the Cardinals had told us that they were seeing. So I will give them some credit, but I'm going to need to see it for the next stretch here to close out the season. I'm going to need to see it consistently to really fully buy him. But as I sit here now on July 26th, I do think that this is your outfield of the future. And a big part of it for me is health because we haven't seen O'Neal or Bader be healthy for an extended stretch yet. Maybe this is what they needed. And oh, by the way, the Cardinals did say we're evaluating. They They didn't say Well, Mo told us on opening day that he thought the outfield would provide impact, which they have over the course of the last couple of weeks. But at the major league level, at least, Williams and Austin Dean have not been very good. And I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, all of a sudden, Williams is having a pretty decent run for Memphis. But I don't know if he can do it at the major league level. Are you ready to give the front office credit for the outfield? I'll give them more credit than I gave them a month ago. Because I was saying, heck, we do our thing every week. And we had the outfield. We we could put Gritchick, Pham, Garcia, and Rosarena. And all three, all four of those guys would have started for the Cardinals. We would have found a way to start those guys. I don't think that here a month and a half later we can say that. So on a 1 to 10 scale, a 1 to 10 credit scale, where where are we at? A 5? 6 right now since things are going well? Or is that too high? Is that grading too high? No, I, I, I think... Because things are going well, and actually because Cardinals guys now have better numbers than a Rosarena, I think that uh, you got to go six. But long term, what's going to happen? I think that's the question. Well, let's let's break it out piece by piece. Dylan Carlson, we knew was young. It would take him a little bit of time yeah. to get that seasoning, but we knew that the raw skill was there. And it seems like getting a run of playing time, we're starting to see that a little bit more from him. I think if we're looking at all three of these guys, he was the one that provided the least amount of concern for Cardinals fans because of his age and because of his playing time. Tyler O'Neill, the health had been an issue, but we always knew that the power was there. He won a gold glove last year. We knew that he was going to be more than serviceable for you if he could stay healthy and if he could provide that power for you on a more consistent basis. Harrison Bader was the big question mark. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people knew he had elite defensive skills, but they didn't know if he would ever be able to put it together offensively. And he is showing that not only is he capable of it, but when he's going like this, he's a major X factor for the team. And somebody, whether it's him or somebody from the outside or Jeff Albert or somebody on the Cardinal staff, somebody has convinced him that not swinging for the fences every time you swing the bat is a good thing. And he, he's actually getting his bat on the ball and right now hitting 289 and leading the Cardinals in batting average. Not only are the Cardinals providing offense, but Mike Schilt is watching him play great defense every day, too. I mean, you know, listen, you think about some of the plays to end games um, and plays to start games, you know. I mean, O'Neill made a play over in Los Angeles to end the game. Um, Carlson made a play over in San Francisco to end the game. Harrison Rob Contreras to 
almost start the game. Robin McTurin homer. Um, you know, Dylan slide and catch over in the LA series. Dylan couple slide and catches in the San Francisco series. Um, you know, I mean, O'Neill's been sliding and diving and catching baseballs. Harrison, same thing. Eric Carlson makes a big time throw to keep the game tied on on uh, Friday night. So, um, I mean, he's got their talented kids, man. They're good players. They can, they can, as Gary Rock would say, and this is the key to it. How many different ways can we beat the other team? And um, those three guys can beat them in virtually every category. And that's what winning players do. And, and uh, just because they have tools, they now are, have their tools are playable in every facet of the game, and it's fun to watch. They're good players. And again, this is a one-month, six-week snapshot that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. You need to see this over the course of time, and you hope that, what we're seeing now is the real thing. But the last several weeks at least have been fun. Isn't it funny to think that Harrison Bader at 27 is the elder statesman of the yeah. group too? So if, if the Cardinals are right with this group, you could be looking at an outfield that you have for a few years. Yeah. Yesterday was the anniversary of Harrison Bader's Major League debut. Four years in the majors for Harrison Bader as of yesterday. And the Cardinals win at 10-6 off day in Cleveland today and then take on the Indians slash Guardians for a couple of games tomorrow and Wednesday. It's going to take a while to get used to calling them the Guardians. I think so. Yeah. And, uh, well, at least they never had the Cleveland baseball team. That's true. So I like the Guardians. I think it's a strong name. Yeah, and especially, did you see why? Because they've got statues yes. that guard the city. I think it's great. It was a smart move on their part. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, about the acquisition of Pavel Buchnevich and where the Blues go on Wednesday with free agency. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The voice of your St. Louis Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber joins Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. He is joining us for, via the uh, Brian, Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kerbs, always good to talk to you. How was your weekend? It was awesome. How about you guys? Everything was good. Nice and warm. Not quite hockey weather, but were we, we were thinking hockey from Friday afternoon on when the, the Blues acquired Pavel Buchnevich from the Rangers. Uh, what was your initial thought? What do you think? You know what? I, I thought it was just another great Doug Armstrong move. Found uh, found a team that needed to make some adjustments, and he upgraded his team with the move. And, and that's what he's really done ever since one of his very early trades for Matt D'Agostini. You know, when he and he took a took a little young prospect that hadn't started to make it yet, and and got an NHL player. What what Doug Armstrong did here is he eliminated uh, again another question mark and brought in a little more certainty. And in other words. You were hoping Sammy Blay last year would take some real strides and some steps forward, and at times it looked like he did. He could play in the top six, and then other times he'd fall out of favor with the coach and be a healthy scratch. Pavel Buchnevich isn't going to do that. This guy can be a perennial 20-goal scorer, if not bigger. You know, and in checking in with, with Joe Micheletti on him, you know, high-end skilled guy, great guy in the locker room, works hard, you know, uh, has just been finding a little more consistency lately, and that's been, you know, the key. Well, Doug upgraded that, that that spot. Now, this is a guy that's played on the right wing, so he's got to figure out who eventually is going to play on the left. But again, uh, an upgrade for Doug Armstrong. I, I love the move. Curbs, how do you think this Buchnevich move affects uh, guys like Schwartz and Hoffman? Well, obviously it starts to eat some of the cap. 
you know, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to look around at, at, you know, who's the free agents and what they are. And honestly, Jaden Schwartz, I think is probably one of the best ones out there, you know, to, to be honest with you. And uh, so I, um, it, it affects it in terms of there's less cap. It doesn't change the fact that the blues need some left wing help in my opinion. And I still think from a free agent standpoint or another trade, they're going to go out and add another defenseman at some point in time. Um, I think Doug would like to have a little more uh, veteran aspect back there. If his, you know, based on his MO of, of how he's built his teams, you know, but to me, there's still a really big hole in the top six on your left wing. And that's something that'll have to be addressed. And whether it is through one of those two guys or somebody else. Curbs, I, I thought it interesting this weekend for all of the discussion among Blues fans and on this radio station about Gabriel Landeskog. Buchnevich with 20 goals, 28 assists, a plus 12. Landeskog, 20 goals, 32 assists, a plus 14. Those two guys, Buchnevich and Landeskog, and obviously it's just one year, but in the 21 season, virtually had the same season. Well, yeah, I mean, and that it, statistically, when you start to really compare numbers and dig a little bit deeper, you, you start to see things. And that's why I said, you know, you go look at whether it be a, a, a Taylor Hall, a Ryan Nugent Hopkins, a Zach, a Zach Hyman may be signed by the Edmonton Oilers and a sign a trade deal, but Nugent Hopkins resigns. Taylor Hall resigns with Boston. We don't know what Brandon Saad's going to do, you know, but, but go look at Jaden Schwartz's numbers compared to these other guys. And you're like, whew. You, you might actually have the guy sitting right here. Now, does he need a change of scenery or vice versa? And, you know, Jaden, for example, wants to go and, and get, um, you know, a test free agency, which is his right. But when you really dig deeper and you get beyond just name value of some of these guys, like you said with Landis Cog, and you look at others, you start to go, wow, you know, some of these numbers aren't all that different. You know, we, we go back to Blake Coleman, you know, for example. You know, Alexander Wenberg, who, who with Florida, now, now this guy, that had three really horrible years with uh, at center for the Columbus Blue Jackets. This guy goes down to Florida and last year scores 17 goals, right, and becomes an unrestricted free agent this year, and he's only 26 years of age, and last year was only making $2.25 million. So you start to see some value in some other names, even if the name recognition isn't quite there. Curbs, in his conversations with the media, Doug Armstrong has mentioned a possible Vladimir Tarasenko return. I don't know if that's going to happen. Do you see a scenario in which Vladimir Tarasenko does return to the Blues, or do you think the relationship is so frayed that they have to move on from one another? You guys have heard me say this for over a week now uh, when this one. When, like I, I've said all along that I, I think he stay, he, there's a good chance he could stay with the St. Louis Blues. And because that has to be considered one of the one of the absolute legitimate options for this hockey team. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is I don't think Doug Armstrong is going to make a trade, right, and going to move a guy if he's not going to get the value that he feels he should get for it just to move him. Whether that be the value in cap space or the value in players, one way or the other, that's exactly the way it has to go. And to me, while some people think that because he had a you know a no trade clause and could pick his teams, and he asked for the trade that Vladimir Tarasenko controls, you know, kind of con- controlled the room on that front. And I, I look at it the other way. He's under contract to the St. Louis Blues, and if the deal isn't there, he's got an option: show up and play or don't play. And if he doesn't play, the Blues end up with seven and a half million of cap space, plus they continue to retain his rights. So to me, I think Doug Armstrong kind of set the table where with his comments, he put the ball back in a court saying, look, I think Vladimir needs to prepare to come to play for the St. Louis Blues. And then if something works out, it works out. But the bottom line, Michelle, when you look at Vladimir Tarasenko is 
Doug Armstrong said that his representatives told him two days after the season ended. So by the time Jeremy broke the story publicly, Doug had had plenty of time to do some research with teams, didn't he? And, and didn't find the right deal he wanted. So he decides, okay, well, let's give him up for free. And the Seattle Kraken could have had him for absolutely nothing. They could have just taken him and then could have flipped him. And Seattle couldn't find a deal that they want where they felt that Vince Dunn was more valuable to them as a pick than Vladimir Tarasenko. That tells you where he's viewed right now until I think he gets going again, playing again, and shows that he's completely healthy and really a value to the team. Curbs, you mentioned a defenseman. And right now, the Blues on the right side are looking at Pareko, Falk, and uh, Robert Bortuzzo. On the left side, Krug, Scandella, who was, I think, by all accounts, a disappointment last year. Mikola and Wallman with Perunovic on the way. What would you like to see the Blues get to upgrade defensively? You know what? I, I Doug Armstrong likes his veteran D-men. And so, to me, somebody like an Alex Martinez is somebody that kind of fits the bill at 33 years of age. He had a cap at a 4 million last year. Um, Alec Martinez, who has the Stanley cup pedigree of having won two cups, you know, and then gone on, you know, some runs with the Vegas golden Knights after being dealt, you know, I just, to, to me, that's the kind of player that you could bring in. And he still picked up what 33 points or something like that last year. So to me, there's a veteran aspect. I, because you have, you know, because you have uh, guys like Krug and Falk under contract and you know that Pareko's contract's coming up, I don't see the Blues being a player for a, a Dougie Hamilton kind of thing. But whether it be whether you can get in for a good price on a Tyson Berry or, or a Brandon Montour, who, you know, just kind of more of a, of a heavy physical defenseman at 27 years of age and a cap hit last year under $4 million, somebody like that to play that Carl Gunnarsson role that the Blues had for a good number of years with, with, uh, with Boom Boom there, that to me, that's the type of player that you're probably looking for. And obviously with the departure of Dunn, that'll give some of the younger guys an opportunity. And Wallman got that opportunity last year. I think we kind of have a tendency to forget about him because he's not a big name, but he's a guy that by all accounts the Blues like and has a chance to ascend as well. Well, and you know, and sometimes when, when, when you look at a guy, you wonder why he doesn't speed up the, the development a little bit. But I, I like to go back to the example of Bryce Salvador in the early 2000s, and a guy that spent a solid four years in the minors and then came in and then look at the career that he had in the National Hockey League, right? And Jake Wallman may end up being that. When when Vince Dunn couldn't play or didn't play and, and they decided to put Jake Wallman in, they started giving him some opportunities, and he started to look really comfortable with that opportunity. He, to me, is one of the few guys, uh, other than really uh, Jordan Cairo, from a young youth standpoint, that when given the opportunity – took full advantage of it. That's actually not fair. I think Nico Mikola did too. So I'd say Mikola, Wallman, and Kairou were your three young guys that took advantage of, of opportunity last year and uh, and made a difference. And, you know, that's where, Randy, when, when Doug's going out and looking for a free agent, whether it be on defense or, for, or forward, right, he, he's going to compare some guys. Like, like, do you go after on a forward standpoint of Matthias Janmark at 28 years of age, right, and had a low cap hit last year? Or do you say, I'd rather see the value of a Clint Costin grow into that role possibly? And he's got to do the same thing on the defense here. He's got Perunovic. He's got Wallman. It's just, is he comfortable with that depth? And is it experienced enough for him to be where he wants to be? And, and Doug's MO is to have that other veteran D-man around. We'll see if he uh, fulfills it. Finally, Curbs, I know you talked to Gary Bettman a couple of times a week, and we really do appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Mich- Michelle and I have talked about a Vegas trip for several years now. The Blues only make one trip to Vegas, and it's in the first trip of the season, the third game of the year, and they don't go back to Vegas? What's going on here? 
You know, the schedule, when you break down and look at the schedule, it, because now you've got Arizona coming into this division and you've got you know, Seattle going into the other division, it, it's not as clean as where you just, you know, either, every team comes here twice one year and you go there once and vice versa. There's a little bit of mix in that Pacific division. So to me, you know, in those biweekly or, or twice a week conversations I have with the commissioner, <laughs> because he is consulting with me, right? Um, so the one I haven't been able to figure out, to be honest with you, like the Vegas one is Vegas. You want to go to Vegas, just jump on the, you can go and have a great time on a Wednesday night or a Friday night in Vegas. All right. For me, the one is weekend games against the Nashville Predators. All right. That is like cards, Cubs, the way those rivalries have started up. But weekend games against Chicago, weekend games against Nashville. If you're going to have a rivalry-based, division-based playoff and, and heavy schedule, then those things matter. They should take the precedence on weekend dates so fans can travel and make it easy. So to me, I'll give up the Wednesday night in, in Vegas, but I'd like to see them throw some Saturday nights on uh, on the schedule against uh, against Nashville. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, you've eased my mind a little bit. I still want the weekend in Vegas, Curbs. So (laughs) tell Gary Batman. Went went well when the two of us talk later today. I'll tell him you both said hello. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Curbs, you're the best. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. Thanks. You too. That is the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber. Can you believe the league would do that to us? It's almost as if they didn't know that we wanted to go to that game. Yeah, and obviously we've been in touch. Clearly. So. Yeah. Wednesday early in the season, but that is an opportunity for a weird Wednesday night in Vegas. And I bet hotel rooms are cheaper middle of the week than they would be on the weekend. Just a weird Wednesday, weird every night in Vegas. But especially a weird Wednesday. Yeah, that's true. Because the crowd you're going to get wherever you go, not the same as you would get on a weekend. Good point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy coming up the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, 836. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 836 means it's time for the fight. Let's welcome in Randy's first challenger of the week. Tim is with us. Good morning, Tim. How was your weekend? Tim, hello. Uh Uh-oh, I think we lost Tim. Emily, is he on the line? Tim, can you hear us? Hmm. Well, you want to hang up and try him again? I can vamp here for a second while you try to get Tim on the line. Either that or Tim had a terrible weekend. <laughs> just didn't want to talk. Um, we are going to try to effort Tim here in a second. I wonder if we should get Randy in here to take his portion of the fight first because we may need another fighter. I'll let everyone know here in a second, but we may need you to get on the line 65780 if you want to fight. This doesn't usually happen. Normally, people are ready and raring to go. I heard Emily speaking to Tim. He wasn't very confident from what I could understand. I think he said he was ready to lose. So maybe he got on the line and got cold feet. I don't know. I understand. It is uh, It's intimidating when you have to go against Randy. Okay, we're getting a text from Tim. I think he said that he lost service. So we're going to give him 
another try here. If not, we're going to have to get an emergency fighter on the line, 65780. If you want to take Randy on, this is your chance to tap in really quickly. Doesn't look like we've gotten Tim. Emily, we're getting a ton of texts on the text line if you would like to get someone else. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to grab Randy Carricker to get him in here. I'm going to have him take his portion of the fight first. We're going to reverse. I'm going to wave him in here really quickly. Randy, we are going to do things a little bit backwards today. We had... Ooh, actually, I don't know if we can do this because if people hear your answers on the line, if they're listening, here's what's happening, Randy. We were supposed to have Tim on the line to fight you. Uh We, Emily, can you turn his mic on? Thank you. There we go. There you go. We had Tim on the line. He was supposed to fight you. I asked him how his weekend was. Nothing. Nada. Oh, no. No, Tim. So Emily is trying to find another fighter. I was going to bring you in to do your portion of the fight first, but then I realize if someone's listening and they hear you give your answers, it's kind of like cheating, right? No, but if I give all wrong answers. Well, then you're just, you're giving the victory to the listener. Well, they have to get all wrong answers too. Okay, okay. hang on. Did oh, Emily get someone? I might kick you out again. I'm so sorry, Randy. No, no worries. I was trying to adjust on the fly here, but I realized I don't think it'll work. I got Tim. Oh, we got Tim. Tim, Hello guys good morning i'm sorry i lost service at the worst possible moment that's that's okay i just did a little bit of a larry king there tim hello um (laughs) um, tim are you in a good spot for service now oh i don't know i'm a truck driver locally so uh, i'm in the middle of illinois on 55 northbound so i may lose service again but if i do then it's just a uh just a disqualification okay well i'm glad that you outlined those parameters first but good luck to you tim let's hustle through this to see if you get it okay All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it, Tim. Thanks for playing. Thanks for listening. Question number one. Who is the most decorated U.S. Olympian of all time? Is it Michael Phelps, Ryan Lochte, or Mark Spitz? That would be Michael Phelps. On July 24th, 2009, the Cardinals received Matt Holliday from which team in exchange for prospects and cash? Is it the Colorado Rockies, New York Yankees, or Oakland Athletics? The Rockies. All right, Tim, question number three. Which basketball player was Michael Jordan nicknamed after as a high school basketball player? Is it Magic, Dr. J, or The Dream? Oh, I have no clue there. Can I get those options one more time, please? Sure. Here's the question again, too. Which basketball player was Michael Jordan nicknamed after as a high school basketball player? Is it Magic, Dr. J, or The Dream? Oh, I'm just going to go with uh, the first option, Magic. And which team won three Super Bowl titles in the 1990s? Was it the San Francisco 49ers, the Denver Broncos, or the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, The 1990s, which NFL team won three Super Bowls? Yes. May I have those options one more time? Yes, the San Francisco 49ers, Denver Broncos, Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers. Okay, we're checking our score. Randy is coming in for real this time. Glad we were able to hang <laughs> on to you, Tim, for the entirety of the Sorry fight. about that. No worries. Sorry about that. It happens. Service service issues definitely happen. Randy, say good morning to Tim. Good morning, Tim. How you doing? Morning, Randy. Pretty good. How about you? Do you enjoy your weekend? It was a hot one. It was a hot one, but I, I enjoy the hot weather, so I had a good time. 
at least the Cardinals held off the Reds one game and avoided the sweep. That was the good thing. That was really good. Yeah, we needed that. Randy is a Leo baby. He loves the sunshine. I was out uh, staying hydrated out at Fox Run on Saturday in the hot weather. The old adage is drink a bottle of water per hole. I didn't reach that, but I I did pretty well. Seems like you'll be using the restroom a lot, though, no? Uh, No, because you just sweat it out. Now, what if you're also drinking beer? Is that a beer and a water per think, hole? Or is that just I, I a water know. every other hole? How does that math work? That, that's a great question. I don't know. If you're drinking natural light, it counts as hydration because natural light is mainly water. That's okay, right. there we go. Thanks, Jim. And if it's Natter Day, what else are you doing? Am I right? All right, Randy. Question, uh, right? Right. Question number one, Randy. Who is the most decorated U.S. Olympian of all time? So the person that has decorated themselves the most? Yes. Well, a lot of glitter on Simone Biles, right? It's p- part of her showmanship, you know. I think I'll go with Michael Phelps, though, decorated with medals. On July 24th, 2009, the Cardinals received Matt Holiday from which team in exchange for prospects and cash? It was, uh, it was uh, the Oakland A's. Clayton Mortensen was one of the guys. Uh, Shane... Shane something. I don't think it was Shane Robinson and they got him back. There was sure, a, Shane? Yeah. There, there was a Shane, though, that was... Shane Peterson was one of the guys. Nice. Yeah. Okay, question number three, Randy. Which basketball player was Michael Jordan nicknamed after as a high school basketball player? Do-do-do-do. Um, this is a good question. I will... Uh, I'll do the lifeline here. Magic. Dr. J. The Dream. Uh, well, sir... Well... It could have been Dr. J for Michael Jordan, right? I don't think that he would have been magic. And he really wasn't Akeem the Dream. So I'm going to go with Dr. J. Which team won three Super Bowl titles in the 90s? The 90s would have been 91 Redskins, 92 Cowboys. It would have been the Cowboys, 93, 94 49ers, 95 Cowboys, 96 Packers, 97 Broncos, 98 Broncos, 99 Rams. So final answer? Uh, I believe I counted the Cowboys three times. Just wanted to make sure. All right. Did Randy defeat Tim? Emily, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. I guess I should have said, did Tim defeat Randy? Since you are mega mind and you are sitting on the throne. But Randy, you won. You did defeat Tim. Three to two. It was a close fight, though, Tim. Very close. Ah, darn. So Fine. close, yet so far away. I didn't think I'd win, but that's all right. It was fun anyway. I had a blast. Yes, you did a great job. You got two correct. So the most decorated U.S. Olympian of all time is Michael Phelps. He has 28 medals, 23 gold, three silver, two bronze. In 2009, on July 24th, the Cardinals received Matt Holliday's from the Oakland A's. It's Magic. He is the basketball mm. player that Michael Jordan was nicknamed after in high school. His nickname was Magic Jordan, which doesn't sound correct to me. No. And the team that did win three Super Bowl titles in the 90s were the Dallas Cowboys, 93, 94, 96. Tim, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, guys. You do the same. It was a good fight, Randy. 
I enjoyed it. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. That is Tim on 101 ESPN. I also want to give a shout out to all of the listeners that texted in last minute that they would fight. We got so many submissions. So thank you to everyone who was willing to swoop in last second because we didn't know if we would get Tim on the line. You can try that every day. Next up, USA Basketball loses their opener to France. Are you out on this U.S. basketball team in the Olympics? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, I was concerned about the U.S. Olympic team. I told you that I was concerned about their mm-hmm. lack of having a big man. And yesterday, they lost to France 83 76. And they didn't have an answer for Rudy Gobert, who's seven foot and 265 pounds. And the USA is trying to go with Bam Abadayo, Adebayo from the Miami Heat, who's a nice player. But Draymond Green, who's 6'8 and about, what, 210, he's outweighed by 50 pounds by Gobert. He's trying to stop Gobert in the lane, and he just doesn't have a chance to do that. That was one of the things that the USA had a problem with. The other thing was just overall defense for 40 minutes. It's a 40-minute game, 10 four minute or four 10 minute quarters and they just didn't play consistent defense for the game yeah we had talked about this prior you did express those concerns because team usa is sacrificing size for shooting ability and they just haven't looked like a gold medal contender they really haven't and heading into this we knew that there would be some teams that might be favored against the U.S., or that certainly could give them fits. Australia was in the mix there. Spain is a team that people certainly talked about. France was a team that a lot of people didn't know if the U.S. would match up against. But Greg Popovich was talking about this after the loss, and he was talking about how the talent gap shrinks every year because basketball is such an international game and that there's a lot of talent all over the world. So it's not just a given that the U.S. is going to show up and dominate in the Olympics anymore, even given the collection of talent they have. But I still think even with sacrificing some size there, that the biggest issue is that this team hasn't gelled yet. And I know that you're going to get some of those guys, Devin Booker, et cetera, who are in the finals, and hopefully they get a little bit more time to get in sync with the mm-hmm. team. But this is a team that clearly has not found their rhythm no. yet. And their best player was Drew Holiday, who came over with Booker and uh, and Chris Middleton. And Middleton barely played in the game. He only got five minutes and was over over two from the floor. But one of the problems here, we hate to say it, is Jason Tatum, who did not play well in the preliminaries. And yesterday was three of nine from the floor, including one of five from three-point land. That hurt overall. The U.S. team was 25 of 69, 36% from the floor, 10 of 32 from three-point land. And then you look at the opposition. The French team hit 46.8% of their field goals, and that's something that concerned ESPN's Tim Legler after the loss. Um, This, in a lot of ways, could be a good thing for them. It could be a wake-up call and make them understand the attention to detail that you have to have. Their defense, the first six minutes of the fourth quarter, was really the only sustained spurt of desperation that I saw out of Team USA, and that's when they jumped out and built a big lead. The problem was they couldn't close the deal because they fell in love with the three-point shot down the stretch of this game, and France did a great job executing, getting the ball where they needed to. So they weren't able to close the deal, but I do think they're going to get better each and every day that they are together. So that's the good news for them. 
Uh, let's see what they can learn from this because they should feel a sense of embarrassment about this. I don't care who you're playing. If you're Team USA, you're expected to win the gold medal. There should be a sense of embarrassment about the loss, and hopefully that requires them to dig a little bit deeper on both ends of the floor as they go forward. I'm with Tim. I would imagine the loss to France, even though there's some talent there, it snaps a 25-game Olympic winning streak for Team USA. This is a team that is expected to dominate. This is a team that's expected to be better than this. And when you're on Team USA, even though you know that the rhythm might not be there yet, you're looking around at the talent that's on this team, and you should be embarrassed. You should expect more of yourself. And the only reason I say that you should be embarrassed is because the standard is so high. Those guys are holding themselves to a gold medal standard, not to the standard standard of a loss versus France. But the good news is that they have two games coming up. Iran on Wednesday and the Czech Republic on Saturday. The U.S. is heavily favored to win. I can't imagine Jason Tatum is going to continue on this pace. I I imagine we're going to see a better performance out of him. So it's good for them to have these two games coming up next that they're favored to win and hopefully they can feast a little bit and start to, to find themselves a little bit more. And they need to get into a transition game if they're going to shoot threes, they've got to shoot them in a hurry. And they were taking everything right down to the end of the clock yesterday. They've just got it because they have so many players, make the other team run with you. And especially once you get Booker and Middleton and Holiday conditioned to what you're doing here. And I know it's not typical of a Greg Popovich team, although Steve Kerr is his number one assistant. They just need to run because they have more players than anybody else. That's how they can win. If you've got a, a seven foot guy, make them run up and down the floor. So how do you feel about this team? Now, even, yes, you have to put the loss to France in the conversation, but I don't know if it's just a lack of luster around the Olympics as a whole or if it's just this team, maybe the way they played in some of the exhibition games. But compared to U.S. men's basketball teams of the past, it doesn't seem like people are as hyped up about this team. No, and in my basement, I have... Uh, a picture with a baby dream team with <laughs> Jordan and Ewing and Barkley and Bird and Magic. Uh, that team had, uh, they had Christian Leitner as their 12th player. Right. That team had 11 of the top 50 players in the history of the, ba- the game. Um, you had Chris Mullen. You had Rob, David Robinson coming off the bench. You had Stockton and Malone coming off the bench. It, it was unbelievable. So I'm spoiled by that. Sure. And, and the Redeem team in 2008. And the, the teams that had LeBron. This team... For a long time under Mike Krzyzewski, the U.S. was able to get their best player to play. And now what you need, I I don't understand how Carl Anthony Towns wasn't even invited. He wasn't even among the 57 that were invited. They need a center. And none of the great centers in the league are American guys. So Anthony Davis not playing hurts, not having Carl Anthony Towns. So I don't feel great about this team because I don't think it's the best that the U.S. has to offer. And LeBron is still the face of the NBA. And I wonder if that plays into this. It absolutely does. LeBron, anything that LeBron does, you're going to get more eyeballs on it. And it's going to be more of a talking point. And it's certainly going to gain more interest. And so I wonder... If that's part of the reason that it's I wonder how much LeBron is the the tipping point, I guess I should say, for people caring about the Olympics and caring to watch this Olympic men's basketball team versus just kind of shrugging their shoulders and checking the score the next day. You're totally correct, because LeBron, he went to the finals 10 straight years. He's a winner. 
And who on, sure, we've got a couple of Milwaukee Bucks champions, but this is the first time we saw those two guys win a championship. You really don't have that championship pedigree that you had when you had Kobe, that you had when you had Michael, uh, that, that the U.S. teams have enjoyed ever since they didn't win in 2004. And they need to be able to find that again. And somebody's going to have to assume that role. Hopefully it's Jason Tatum that assumes that role as the alpha. And that's one of the other things that Tim Legler uh, talked about it is they did it, sometimes it's your turn sometimes it's the other guy's turn they need to find an alpha guy where in the fourth quarter okay the ball's going to this guy whoever it is and maybe it'll wind up being Devin Booker because yesterday they didn't have that yeah who would be the alpha on this team Jason Tatum he should be he should but he's be not played he hasn't played well at all for this team yeah you you need the pedigree and the play to back yeah. it up and yesterday after but, getting in late the evening before holiday is the guy that took over, but he shouldn't be the guy that is the alpha on this team. But even Jason Tatum, we love Jason Tatum more than anybody here in St. Louis, but to have him be the alpha. Yes. He's one of the best players in the NBA, but he's not an NBA champion. I I just don't think it carries the same weight as it does. If it's someone like LeBron. Well, that's one of the problems that they have. And maybe Zach Levine will wind up being that guy. Well, it should be K- KD, right? It should be Durant. Yeah, it should be Durant. Good call. And yesterday... Yeah, we he, totally forgot about Durant. Yeah, he, he was 4 of 12 from the floor uh, because his teammates forgot about him in the stretch run. Well, he fouled out. So he's got to stay out of foul trouble. That's a, another big issue here. Do you look at Kevin Durant as the alpha? No, I really don't. Well, on this team, he should be. But, but ordinarily, no. He, he certainly wasn't on his championship teams. Steph Curry was the man. Steph Curry right? was the man. That's right. Even though Durant won MVP of the finals both times, I still think Steph Curry was the man on that team. He's always... Kevin Durant could be the best player on the floor, but I don't necessarily look at him as the alpha, no. if that makes sense. But he's going to have to be that guy. It, and that's something that Kerr and Popovich are going to have to come to grips with because they're going to have to determine who the guy is at the end of the game. In the last five minutes, who's the guy that's going to carry you to victory? Easiest question, who takes the last shot? KD's got to take the last shot. Yes, he does. Even with you have, when you have Lillard and Holiday and Booker on your team and Levine, KD's got to take the last shot. That's the question that you have to answer. Do you think we need to give this team a name? Because the dream team, the redeemed team, you certainly remember those teams because of the name. Maybe if we yeah. give this team a name... People will care more. That might be. We got to come up with something, though. I don't know what it is. 65780, if you have any ideas. What can we name the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team? Yeah, I like the thought process here. That's Michelle. (laughs) I'm Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, the Blues with a big deal getting Pavel Bushnevich from the Rangers over the weekend. And we want to know what you think of where the Blues are and where they might be headed in free agency. We want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Around the boards, bounces out of the zone. Noah Dobson there. Good pressure takeaway by Zabanejad to Gushkevich. He scores! Miller off the glass, out to Panarin. Panarin gets it to Zabanejad and out of Gushkevich. He scores! Johnson plays it back. And it's picked up by Bucinevich. He moves it and shoots. He scores! Pavel Bucinevich with his second of the game. Oh, good play by Bucinevich. And he scores! Number 20,000 in Rangers franchise 
904 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Pavel Buchnevich has played 301 career games in the NHL, 79 goals, 116 assists, 195 points. And I'm not hearing many people that are upset about the Blues moving Sammy Blay to New York. We haven't heard the outrage yet about Sammy Blay. Well, think about this. It's 905, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we've really even just talked about Sammy Blay. We've talked about Buchnevich a lot. We've talked about Vladimir Tarasenko and what the ramifications of this move could mean for him. We've talked about Jaden Schwartz. We've talked about Mike Hoffman. We haven't even really talked about Sammy Blay so far today. What if Sammy Blay goes off in the playoffs for the Rangers next year? I.e. Randy Rosarena off. Well, what did you get out of Buchnevich during the regular season? Uh, that's a good question. Hopefully it was better than, more than what we got out of Matthew Liberator last season. Different uh, comparisons because we're going to actually have a player who's going to be playing for the Blues. You're going to mm-hmm. see an immediate return on this one. But I get what you're saying, that Sammy Blay, a guy who at one point you definitely had in Sharpie as a guy that was going to be a member of your team moving forward. He was one of these young players that you definitely thought the team was going to have and be part of the foundation. But just this past season, didn't see everything that that you won from him. And I think most Blues fans think that this is a great move that Doug Armstrong pulled off. And interestingly, we're generally pretty happy that he got the replacement for Vladimir Tarasenko. Exactly. Isn't that funny that he, for everything that Vladdy has done here, and granted, he did ask for the trade. He's the one that wants out. But people are happy that we have a, a replacement for that guy. Well, when you know that there's going to be a void somewhere, this kind of reminds me of the immediate reaction last year when you knew Petro likely wasn't coming back and Army made the first move to go out and get Mm -hmm. Tory Krug. I think I think a lot of fan bases like their GM to be proactive rather than reactive. And Doug Armstrong certainly is proactive. He knows likely that last year Petro wasn't going to come back. So what did he do? He was not going to get caught flat-footed. He went out and made a move. Tory Krug was the next guy on the board for him, and he made it happen. He likely knows that Vladimir Tarasenko is not mm-hmm. coming back. So, again, is not going to get caught holding the bag. He went out and made this move, and I... Based on what we've seen out of Buchnevich the past season, I think that he's going to give you more production than we've seen out of Vladimir Tarasenko the past few seasons. Well, certainly, yeah. He'll certainly play. You can rely on that. If he scored 20 in 54 games last year, what's he going to do in 82? If he plays 80 games for the Blues, he might be a 30-goal scorer. From the 5-7-3, great, great trade by Army. Now, if he could talk the Rangers into parting with Chris Kreider for Tarasenko, that would be great. Resign Schwartz, and then you have depth on the left wing. But Schwartz, he probably wanting too much to play third third-line winger with the Blues. I would think that that would be the case. And right now, that would be probably, logically, where Schwartz would land because your top four wingers are going to be Perron, Shen, and then on the next line, Buchnevich and Kairou. So where would that leave Jaden Schwartz on the third line? He'd be a great third-liner to have. So do you think Schwartz, Hoffman, Bozak all gone? I think Bozak has a chance. I would be really surprised if Schwartz and Hoffman would be back because they have five different restricted free agents that they have to sign, and that's going to take up a lot of their money. When you talk about Barbashev and Buchnevich and uh, let me get the list for you. I've got it right here. They they just have too many guys that, that are going to take too much cap space up for them to be able to sign a, a player like that. Do you think this move 
also removes Landeskog from the conversation, or do you think that's still on the table? It depends on how much they can take off the books with the trade of Tarasenko. If they could trade Tarasenko for picks and get that $7.5 million to spend, then I think that that would be a possibility. Although my guess is that the Blues probably are more likely to spread that money out and get a defenseman and probably fill in depth on their third and fourth lines. What On a scale of 1 to 10, we did the scale earlier when we were talking about the Cardinals outfield, the confidence there. I want to do the scale on Vladimir Tarasenko and his return because I think most people have read all of the information out there and have come to the conclusion that he's not going to be back next season. But then we talked to Chris Kerber earlier in the show who said that based on what he's looking at from a numbers perspective, what Doug Armstrong has said in his media availability, that he thinks that Army is not going to just give Vladdy away and a bad deal because there may be bad blood there and both parties want to move on. He's going to do what's best for the organization and that he may return. Where are you at on that? Because I I do agree with Curbs that I don't think Army is going to make a deal just to make a deal. He's going to make a deal that he thinks puts the Blues in the best position to win. But I don't know if bringing Vladimir Tarasenko back in any capacity puts the Blues in the best position to win. And is there any trust at all? If you bring Vladimir Tarasenko back, we know that there's no trust in regards to the medical staff, right? But is there any trust that when Armstrong tells his camp, I can't find a taker for Vladimir Tarasenko, do they really buy that? And what kind of a player is Vladdy going to be? What's his attitude going to be if he has to walk back in essentially with his tail between his legs and say, oh, my bad. I, I, I didn't really mean it. I didn't really want to be traded. Yeah, nobody wanted me. Seattle could have yeah. taken me. They didn't. Hey, yeah. guys, I'm back. Didn't mean what I said. Hopefully you don't have a subscription to The Athletic. <laughs> right. my, my bad, guys. Yeah. But, yeah, what's that going to be? If Vladimir Tarasenko didn't have trust in the organization before, now he knows that they've been shopping him for a while. And I can't imagine that his teammates must be thrilled with some of some of this stuff and just the organization as a whole you're right what if he gets injured or has to deal with the medical staff that can't be great no. but I don't see a scenario in which he can come back but from a financial standpoint I also don't see Army wanting to pay the bill no you don't want to pay him to be playing for somebody else by the way the other restricted free agents and the Blues have about 15 million in cap space I'm figuring that Zach Sanford probably is going to get about two million uh Thomas probably going to get about three, so that gets you up to five. Jordan Cairo is probably going to get about two and a half, so that gets you up to seven and a half. Uh, probably about three million for uh, Ivan Barbashev, who's already making two and a half. And then you've got Buchnevich, who who might get five million. So that'd take up all of your cap space right there with Tarasenko on the books. Wow. So it is beneficial for you to to move him one way or the other for a lot of ways. But I wonder about Matthew Kachuk, too, because that's obviously top of mind for Blues fans. Yeah, and that's another part about Tarasenko. If he can have a great year, trade him at the trade deadline, and then you have that dry powder, as it were, that that money that is available to you if you want to try to get, go get him next offseason. Yeah, if he does return, it'll be interesting to see where his mental state is at. Is he so angry and frustrated that he's going to not want to do well or maybe he'll he'll want to sit out maybe there's a standoff or is he so angry that he has to come back that he wants to play as best as he possibly can go out there be the vladimir tarasenko of old so that he can force his way and if army says hey just go out and prove that you're healthy and productive teams around the league will want you 
And once you get to the trade deadline, when you don't have to pay him $7.5 million, when there's only $2 million left for the rest of the season, then Army just has to be a man of his word, which he is. And Tarasenko has to trust that the Blues will do what's in his best interest, get him out of here, if he proves that he's productive and healthy. Now, the problem is, what if you get to the trade deadline and he's got 34 goals and you've got the best record in the West? Then what do you do? do then do you trade him? Do you keep your word? Well, I think long-term... If Matthew Kachuk is the goal and they think that they can get it done, you're going to have to remove that money from the equation anyway. But I can't imagine the fan base would take that well if Vladdy's your best player and he's put up a ton of points and the Blues are sitting in first place and you're going to move him. But I also think, I'm going to go back to your initial comment, that Vladdy would have to trust that the Blues would hold their word and do what's best for him in his mind, which is to get him out of there because it doesn't seem like a lot of trust exists. But I think that if if he does come back and you're Doug Armstrong, I love that approach, Randy. Just prove that you're healthy and productive. Yeah. It's in your hands because a lot of people don't think that you are or that you can be healthy and productive. Yeah. So go, go out there and show them what you got. By the way, we talked about next year, and I – with Blay coming off the books, the Blues actually have $18 million okay. in cap space available. But next year you have Perron coming off and his $4 million. You have Clifford and his million coming off. You have McEachern coming off at 900000 You have Pareko, who you'll probably have to re-sign, and Bortuzzo coming off at one point three seven five. And then if you want to count Huso 750 have that coming off the books too. So the Blues, if they wanted to pursue Matthew Kachuk next year, and that's a long ways down the road, but they would have the flexibility to do so. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN. As a Mizzou fan, do you really want Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC? If you're an Illinois fan, do you want Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> A lot going on with the Big 12 and the SEC. Apparently last night, the presidents of both Texas and Oklahoma met with officials from the Big 12 and still have not officially told the Big 12 that they are leaving for the SEC. But every indication, Michelle, is that this is going to happen. And apparently it's going to happen against the wishes of Texas A&M. And this report from ESPN points out that there is apparently an unwritten rule, the gentleman's agreement between SEC schools that gives the conference members absolute veto power over the addition of another school from their state, according to a former Texas A&M official. R. Bowen Lofton, who people will remember from Mizzou, helped steer the Aggies into the SEC in 2011 while serving as A&M's president and said Thursday that the oft-discussed unwritten rule was a specific conversation when he was involved in expansion talks in 2010-2011. He said, there's this understanding among the membership, at least it was 10 years ago, that you don't admit a school from the same state as a member's school unless that member's school is okay with it. And from what we've heard so far from Texas A&M, they aren't really okay with it. No, it seems like Texas A&M has been pretty vocal about the fact that they're not okay with this. Part of the reason that they wanted to join the SEC was to further establish themselves away from Texas. So I can't imagine that they are thrilled uh, reading these reports and, and hearing this news because it does seem like this is something that's on the fast track to happening. If you just connect the dots here, doesn't this appear to be 
a great move for ESPN, maybe buy ESPN. When you think about the fact that this will destroy the Big 12, Big 12, the only football schools they have are Texas and Oklahoma. All due respect to Iowa State with Matt Campbell and Oklahoma State and Baylor, who's had a good program. But their big blue blood schools are Oklahoma and Texas. So the TV revenue generating power of the Big 12 will be gone. That conference is a Fox conference. You move these schools to the SEC and ESPN, then all of a sudden ESPN has the daytime Big Ten games, and after 11 o'clock in the morning, you've got all the SEC, all the SEC on on ESPN and ABC. It just seems like a great move. The, the, The entity that seems to benefit the most from this to me, seems to be ESPN slash ABC. And I wonder what that means for the Longhorn Network, if that just dissolves, because that obviously is an ESPN property as well. But I would think if I'm Texas and I'm looking at the big picture here, yes, it's cool to have our own network, but if I'm going to the SEC, you're getting way more eyeballs on you from a national perspective and likely from the SEC network than you're getting on the Longhorn Network anyway. And if that's part of the deal, because I can't imagine other programs within the SEC are going to be cool with Texas having a standalone Mm -hmm. network, um, it's it's beneficial for them, in my opinion, which is kind of ironic that that might be something that's taken off the table when it was something that caused a lot of consternation in the Big 12 and was allowed to happen. It's why Mizzou left. Yeah. Because they got money that Mizzou wasn't entitled to, and Mizzou wanted that equality. And the day Mizzou walked into the SEC, they were on equal footing with Auburn and Arkansas and Alabama and Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Everybody got the same amount of money. And I have to believe that if you're Missouri, and it takes three schools, I believe, no, four schools to vote against this to shoot it down. If the Longhorn Network is going to be there and Texas is still going to get that extra $15 million a year that nobody else is getting, I can't imagine that Mizzou would vote for it. I think there would be a lot of programs voting against yeah. it. I don't know why Texas would think that they could pop into the best football league in the country. No disrespect, Big Ten or ACC. But we know that the SEC tends to get more pub than most of the other conferences in college football. But if you're Texas and you're wanting to join the SEC because of the power that the SEC has, I can't imagine that any of the other programs within the SEC, knowing the power that they wield, would allow Texas to come in and and still carry that network. So we're looking at this from a wins and losses in football standpoint. Those schools, every school is looking at it from a financial standpoint. I wonder if this changes things for the Big Ten and the ACC, if they see this happening. if They they have to want to expand, don't they? But what big schools could they add now? Unless Notre Dame goes permanently to the ACC, what are the plays for the Big Ten or the ACC? Well, it seems like there's been talk for a while now of a four-team super conference. Mm -hmm. It just seems like the entire league is going to be shifting. If Texas and Oklahoma leave the Big 12, it's going to be a fire sale, don't you think, eventually? Of the Big 12. Of the Big 12, yes. And I wonder what the four super leagues would be or the four super conferences would be. The SEC, you're going to keep the Mm -hmm. Big 10, the ACC— Right, in the Pac-12? Right. Maybe the Pac-12 adds Oklahoma State and Baylor? I would imagine a lot of those Big 12 schools would would likely go there. Or does the Big 10 make a play for some of those teams? Because regionally it might make more sense for them than Pac-12. But I think what we're learning here is that 
the the region aspect of this, the geography aspect of this is getting thrown out the window. It so, totally is. Yeah. And by the way, the other program here, because they don't generate revenue from a football standpoint, I'm really interested to see what happens with KU. From where a, they, where from a they basketball go? standpoint? Yeah, because they aren't a football school. They aren't going to help any conference draw eyes to their conference. There's no reason to give money to KU from a football standpoint because they, they don't help you. They don't generate viewers. They don't generate revenue. So do they just become a basketball school? And I, I have joked about it last week, but do they join the Big East and just put football off on the side as some of those other Big East schools do? Or like, are they, are they at the level of Cincinnati? I Again, this requires programs to have a certain level of self-awareness, and I don't know if Kansas is there. When they go out and hire less miles and that experiment didn't work, you're trying to revitalize your football program. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to be a football school. I don't know if they have the self-awareness needed to say, we're going to just forget about football and we're, and we're just going to That's the thing. be a basketball school, even though they are just a right. basketball school. Right. If, if they join the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati, Memphis— those are football programs that are actually better than KU's, and they have real good basketball programs, too. You've got uh, Houston in that conference, another really good basketball program. Temple has been good in the past. And you've got your football programs, your entire group is Cincy, Tulsa, Memphis, UCF, SMU, Houston, Navy, Tulane, East Carolina, Temple, South Florida. That is the group of schools that you're on a par with from a football standpoint. I wonder what the interest would be from the Big Ten as far as Kansas is concerned because maybe they just want the basketball program. If if you're going to bring in Rutgers in Maryland, I would imagine Kansas as a basketball powerhouse is more appealing than those two schools, even though, Randy, they did, quote-unquote, get you that New York footprint, that East Coast footprint. What a joke. Yeah, you're right because we have to look at it from a money standpoint, right? We have to follow the money rather than the competitive ability of the football program. And you know what's weird? When you follow the money, a lot of times you end up at the UK, at the Kansas basketball program. You do. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Players too. Yeah, well, <laughs> a lot of money being filtered through there. But I just think that this is interesting because it's it seems like it's going to yeah. happen. And I wonder how the SEC feels about it. Or if you're a Mizzou fan and you've gone to the SEC and all of a sudden it seems like Kansas and Oklahoma are coming, how do you feel about that? I, I really think it's interesting. I, and te- Texas is down. Oklahoma is great. I, I'm intrigued. And if you're a Mizzou fan, it's different because Eli Drinkwitz is there. Hopefully he sticks around. From the 815, a text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I'm a Mizzou fan. No, absolutely not. If Oklahoma and Texas get in the SEC, Mizzou should go to the Big Ten. I don't think the Big Ten wants Mizzou. No, they, they definitely don't. They had that opportunity. And right. The, the Big Ten could have taken them. That was Mizzou's first choice, and the Big Ten didn't want them. Also, now that you're Mizzou and you're in the SEC and you see what your football program has been able to do in the SEC and what Eli Drinkwitz is building there, why would you want to leave? Right. Great point. You you don't want to go to the Big Ten now. No. Why would you want to go there when they didn't want you? Then you go to the SEC, you have success right away, and you see the platform that the SEC has from a college football standpoint. I I would never want to leave if I was Mizzou. More money. Yeah. Why would you want to go somewhere for less money? Right. 
Yeah, I wouldn't. Absolutely yeah. not. Um, here's some more text, Randy. Uh, sorry, I'm scrolling from the six. Three six. As a Nebraska fan, I want Oklahoma in the Big Ten and Texas in the SEC. I do too. From a big Big Ten perspective, it would be great to have Oklahoma in the Big Ten. Well, and the Oklahoma Nebraska rivalry is what that Nebraska fan wants. Mm-hmm. Nebraska's gonna have to upgrade pretty significantly to get to the level of Oklahoma again, though. Oh, absolutely. Talk about a program that does not have self-awareness, though. No offense to our texter from the 636. No, But Nebraska is like a Texas. They had success in the past and think that they're at a certain level when reality shows that they haven't been. Nebraska's in the Big Ten, and we never talk about Nebraska in the Big Ten. No. Never. And that's a problem for that school. And that's the one where losing the rivalry probably hurt them. But there were so many extenuating circumstances that caused Nebraska to regress. And maybe under Scott Frost, they're going to bounce back. But it's really hard to be a consistent power like they were 20, 30 years ago. Um, last text, Randy, from the 815. I'm an Illinois fan. There's no end in sight to football terrible and terribleness, so it doesn't matter to us. Oh, come on. Do you agree with that? You got Brett Bielma. I thought the same way about Lovey. So until I see it, I understand. I understand feeling dejected about Illinois. To our friend from the 815, I feel you on that. And thank you very much for the texts. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN as we get ready for your Killing Me Smalls. We have some more news on the Big 12. Yes, thank you to our teammate Brandon Kylie, who, of course, you can hear on the Danny Mac show with BK and, of course, BK and Ferrario. He sent us this text, some news coming out of college football. Heather Dinich reporting that, well, actually, Texas put out a statement, but she had the tweet. UT and Oklahoma have notified the Big 12. They're not going to be extending their grant of rights beyond 2025, which was something that Heather, Heather Dinich had had over the weekend that most people were expecting this to come down that Texas and Oklahoma weren't intending to extend their existing media rights deal with the Big 12. This expires in June of 2025. And they're supposed to have to wait 18 months to change conferences. I'm guessing it'll be more like 11 months. Well, this is the first, I guess, formal step of them showing their cards that they intend to exit the conference. And yeah, I don't know if you're the Big 12, even though they're two important schools do you really want to keep them around that long just to have them in purgatory you can't move them this year no not this year but but next year yeah moving forward i would think so yeah but for the 2022 season my anticipation would be that texas and oklahoma will be part of the sec west with missouri and the two mississippi schools and maybe vandy it'll be fun it'll be great what what a weird and what's the word i'm looking for decisive I guess off season for college football with the NIL stuff and now now the shifting again of conference and talk of realignment this has been a really really impactful past couple weeks and for all of the realignment we've had over the years to, to me this is the biggest one oh yeah because this really makes a conference crumble the big 12 doesn't get over this they can get over losing Colorado and Nebraska and Mizzou and A&M, you don't get over losing your big two. Well, Texas always has the money. Mm-hmm. And even though they have underachieved for a decade, it's still Texas. 
Um, I would say from a power standpoint, Texas still holds all the cards mm-hmm. in the Big 12. They're Again, even though they haven't won in a while, I would imagine they're at the top of that list as far as power dynamics are concerned. And Oklahoma is your most successful college football program. Right. They're the only college football pro. Aren't they the only one from the Big 12 that's been in the playoff? I believe they are. Yeah. And they've so. been in there three or four times. Right. So you're losing the program with the most money and a lot of the power. And you're losing your best football program. Amazing. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, I almost am exhausted talking about this, but I do feel like I need to mention it because we are getting closer to report day. But Aaron Rodgers, of course, stirring it up again over the weekend, but this time with Devontae Adams. Both of them posted the same image over the weekend to their Instagram story. It's of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan in Bulls uniforms, giving one another the fist bump, likely signaling to Packers fans that this is the last dance with the two of them in Green Bay. So is this going to be the last dance or have we had our last dance? That is the multi-million dollar question. I don't know. But I took it as it is going to be the last dance, and maybe we will see Aaron Rodgers report, but a lot of other people thinking that this is them saying you've had the last dance already. Isn't social media awesome that these two can team up and have such a cryptic tweet like this? It's it's very cool. Well, Shailene Woodley, mm-hmm. actress, Aaron Rodgers' fiance, she retweeted a Stephen A. Smith video of him on first take saying that Aaron Rodgers has been underappreciated and not valued in the manner in which he should be in Green Bay. She retweets this. It causes everyone to talk about it. They post this on social media. I wonder if Aaron Rodgers is just sitting at home eating popcorn enjoying the hell out of this. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And Again, I I don't think that it makes anybody more likable when a team makes you the highest paid player in your sport and then you say he's unappreciated. Now, it's not shouldn't all be about money, but I would suggest that Aaron Rodgers has probably been appreciated pretty well in Green Bay. Well, I think the fan base is looking at it and saying, we have given you all the adoration in the world. Mm -hmm. You've been the guy here for a long time. If you don't feel like you've been appreciated and you don't want to be here, I could see a lot of the fans saying good riddance to you. Sit at home and eat your popcorn. But I could also see a huge portion of the fan base having a more rational thought and saying he's the reigning MVP and we are not a better team without him. Well, the thing is, what happens if Jordan Love comes out and he's Kurt Warner? What if? That would be incredible. Do you think that's likely to happen? I didn't think it was likely for Kurt Warner to happen. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) And they have been pretty good at assigning who the the heir apparent will be. Yeah, they have. But based on what you've seen out of Jordan Love so so far. Haven't seen anything. Well, in in camp and stuff, the reports that we've been getting, it doesn't look like he's ready quite yet. Yeah. But you never know. But I'm sure there's a lot of Packers fans that don't want to find out, at least not right right now. (laughs) You're killing me, Smalls. LeBron, Randy, we need to call him king, but also call him billionaire. So he becomes the first active NBA player to earn a billion dollars. He has $330 million in playing salary, $700 million in endorsements, merchandise, licensing, and his media business. So LeBron, officially a billionaire. And pizza, right? Isn't he making money off of pizza, too? Oh, yeah, that's right. What is it called? Blaze, I think? Yeah. Good for him. Now, I have not seen his Space Jam. I have read that it is one of the worst movies in the history of movies. Have you heard that? And have you seen it yet? I have seen it. And? It's not great. 
And I, I hate to do this to LeBron because I love him, but it's not great, Randy. And I don't know. Here, here's the thing. When you get to a certain level of success, everyone around you tells you exactly what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And those people who get to a certain level don't want to hear anything that doesn't align with what they what they want. And clearly this Space Jam was everybody telling LeBron that he's so great because the entire thing, especially the first 10 minutes, is just pumping LeBron's tires. All it is is talking about how LeBron is a once in a generation player and he's a superstar and he's more than an athlete. It's it's a vehicle for him to talk about how awesome he is. Now, the second half, great. when the Looney Tunes come in, it's much better. Once the basketball starts, it's much better. But I wish LeBron would have tried to do something that Michael Jordan didn't do. Why don't you have your own original idea and do a, a movie that's completely different from Space Jam? Because the bar was already set so high that I didn't ever think it was going to be as good as the original. And instead, you just tried. I always say that money talks wealth whispers in every aspect of life. Mm -hmm. And if you're the greatest, you don't have to talk about how you're the greatest all the time. Michael Jordan doesn't going around, go around talking about how he's the goat all the time. Right. He just is. And the fact that LeBron had to make this movie and talk about how great he is the entire time tells you that he's insecure about the fact that a lot of people don't think really? he's the goat. And the acting was just, eh. I thought the storyline didn't really piece together. I, w I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. But then they won't watch it. But the second half is better. Bugs Bunny is the star of the movie, clearly. Hmm. Is Lola in this one? Lola is. She yeah. is. Okay, good. I know that you are a big Lola fan. Oh, right? Lola's great. Yeah, one of the great actresses of our time. <laughs> That's right. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, from Chris Mortensen of ESPN, the Texans are alleged, are reportedly, I should say, willing to trade Deshaun Watson. They're asking for a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players. He put some pressure on him by showing up, didn't he? Mm -hmm. You don't want to have him in your training camp if you're the Houston Texans. Now, does anybody give up five draft picks slash players? Does Philadelphia really do it as Adam Schefter suggested? They seem like the team that's the most likely to do it. Yeah. I I really wonder of all fan bases how he would be received in Philly. Be interesting. Because they clearly want to win and he's clearly mm -hmm. a great football player, but it's a very complicated move. It is. And you hate to throw a blanket over all people in a fan base, right? But I think there is a greater percentage in Philadelphia that would say, "Ah, don't worry about it. We're going to win." Yeah, we're talking majority here. Right. When now, he when he runs out onto the field for the first game, does he get cheered or does he get booed? He'll get cheered in Philly. That's what I'm asking. And he would probably get booed in Houston. Uh, what other fan bases do you think would cheer him? What other fan base do you think is so desperate to win? Mm. And again, we're not saying all Eagles fans are like this. No. But what what's the pervasive sound you hear when he goes out there for the first game? Is it cheers or is it boos? What if he runs out of the tunnel? He's been traded for Zach Wilson, and he runs out for the Jets. Ooh. I don't know, because I feel like even when you're good, you might get booed by Jets, no. Jets fans. Yeah. Okay, here's one for you. What about Bears fans? Ooh, that is a really good one. I think they cheer him. It might be a 50-50 split. I don't know. That's really good. Because, well, they have Justin Fields, right? So yeah. I think I think maybe they 
you might get more booze if they didn't have Justin Fields as the yeah. guy who's going to be the yeah. guy. Interesting question. It is. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And coming up on 101 ESPN, we wanted your nicknames for this new basketball team. You've texted in. We want to hear from you the nickname for this current USA basketball team as we head towards the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Cardinal tickets. We've got Cardinal tickets for you. The Bud Bash ticket giveaway cards Braves. 101 has your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cards Braves game on August 3rd. Next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash features an exclusive Bo Hart bobblehead. Winner must be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. Get all the details for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash at Cardinals.com slash promotions. But we've got a four-pack for you right now. They're playing the Braves. Mm -hmm. Here is the question that you need to answer. And be texter number 32. Hint, texter number 32. If you can tell us the last Major League player that the Cardinals traded to the Braves. The last Major League player the Cardinals traded to the Braves. Texter number 32 gets the four-pack of tickets. How about that? I see a little hint. Mm, Yeah, maybe. Michelle, uh, we've got the... USA basketball team playing Wednesday next, and they take on Iran. They better win that one. But we wanted people to weigh in with their nicknames for this team. We've had the Dream Team. We've had the Redeem Team. What about this team? I have some examples for you if you'd like. I would. Our tech, we have the BLIS. We always say this, the best listeners in sports because they're so creative. From the 309, how about the Listerine team because they leave a bad taste in your mouth? Ooh, that's really good. I like that. <laughs> We have another one coming here from the 636. The scream team, because watching them makes you scream no. (laughs) Yeah, I felt that way yesterday, definitely. My personal favorite, the 573. You guys should call them the lean team because they have no big man and it looks like they may have a slim chance to win. This is true. That's another great one. And now I can't find any more because from, we have so many texts coming from in. From the 813, the cream team, softest team I've seen. Mm. <laughs> it is kind of kind of soft. And then uh, we had the bad, multiple bad dream teams. That's pretty good. Yeah. So And the nightmare team. So I know why you're, uh, you're getting a lot of answers here, aren't you, that have caused problems with our text machine because yeah. you're getting the correct... Cor- a lot of correct and incorrect answers. Uh, we need a Kareem team. Better than they seem team. Better than they seem team. But are they yeah. better than they seem? They should be better. They should be. But sometimes just because you have a great collection of talent does not mean you make a great team. You have a lot of great individuals. There's a lot of individual talent on that team. But are they a team? And they need to buy in with what Pops is preaching. They need to play great defense. And they did play great defense for about six minutes yesterday. But then in the last four minutes of the game, they just fell apart defensively. They they went on, I believe, a 16-2 run. And then they got outscored something like 14-2 down the stretch. It was really bad. 
it was. Um, I also think that what Greg Popovich said post game is true, that there is elite talent all, all across the world. The talent gap is different than it has been in years past. And just because a lot of great NBA players from America go over to the Olympics does not mean that other teams don't have great talent and they haven't been playing. They've been playing together for a longer time. Right. Because they haven't been in the finals. That being said, France did have a couple of non NBA players in there. And there is no excuse in my opinion for a team of NBA players from the USA. I think you can put an NBA team an NBA all-star team on the floor against any other team in the world, and they should still beat them. Any other country that has NBA players, our NBA players should be better. Well, the talent should be better. Right. That doesn't mean that they're the better team again, right? Right. And that's what Pops is talking about. He needs his group to gel. And don't blame it on the three guys that just showed up because you've got other guys that have been playing for 10 days and did not perform well in Vegas in the preseason games leading up to this. So there's something going on. And I think what Tim Legler said is is accurate. They need to find a guy, and Durant has to be that guy that they all defer to. Also, I wonder if they're going to have a sick-of-it moment where sometimes you just need mm-hmm. uh, something negative to be a galvanizing thing for you, and maybe they just snap and say, whatever it is that's been holding us back, we need to figure it out ASAP because we're not losing again. Emily, what do you got for us? Oh, you were telling us to wrap up. Did we get a winner yet? Oh, Mike Ryder's getting our winner right now. But we do have a winner, correct? So I can tell you what the answer is? I'm going to tell you what the answer is anyway. I think he's on the phone, so I think we have a winner. Our winner is Caleb. Caleb, congratulations. You knew that the last major leaguer traded by the Cardinals to the Braves was Matt Adams. Matt Adams. We had a lot of people saying J.D. Drew or Brian Jordan or Jaime Garcia, but it was Matt Adams in 2017 traded for Juan Yepes. Would we have also accepted Big City and or Jumbo Pepsi? We would have accepted any of those. Okay, great. Great job by our producer engineer today, the one and only Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was great. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show, The Danny Mac Show featuring BK next on 101 ESPN. And for all of us, until tomorrow at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.